Embrace the day, you weeping seaside emus. What have you been doing down at the shore? Has a brash sand accosted your drab flightless wings? What secrets have you been told to make a single tear roll down your long avian neck? You stupid looking bastard of a bird. Hello, what's the crack? God bless. How are you getting on? It's me, Blind Boy. And I'm in the middle of doing the Blind Boy podcast. From my brand new fucking studio. Over the past four or five weeks, I've been in transit. I've been moving the studio around the gaff. Recording in different places with various results. But now I'm in a brand new fucking studio. I have yet to sonically improve the dimensions of the room. So that it gives me perfect fucking sound. There's a little bit of an echo. Listen, listen, can you hear it? A little bit of an oh, And listen, the chair is back. My, my squeaky chair is back. Let's give it a little bit of a, a celebratory squeak, shall we? Oh, there's a horrendous reverb on that. Yeah. So what I need to do... The, the floors in the new studio are made of wood and... They're wooden floors. So I need to... I don't know, fuck a lot of carpet on the ground, I think. I'll get a few carpet cut-offs and dull in the ground. So I don't get that reverberation. Let's see if we can... I click my fingers. Listen to that. Disgusting. So I'll dull in the ground and then on the walls I'll stick a load of foam panelling and that should get us back into podcast hog territory. But I quite like this sound, it's not too bad. So long as I don't raise my voice we won't get any nasty sounds. So last week, last week was a live podcast which I quite enjoyed with Finn Dwyer from Irish History Podcast and it was about the famine and I listened back to it myself and yeah I really shouldn't have done that I I should have been in the audience I shouldn't have been presenting that podcast because I got too fucking excited I just was like I just wanted to listen to Finn talk about the famine the whole fucking time and I was jumping in with loads of questions and observations no chill whatsoever. But you seem to like it anyway. <laughs> but here's the thing with the live podcasts. Like I've got loads more coming up. Um, Actually I'm going to plug. I have a live podcast gig. With a pretty cool guest. In. It's at the Kilkenny Cats Laughs Festival. I don't know the fucking date. Or the venue. Because that's just the type of person I am. I haven't checked it out. But it's at the Kilkenny Cats Laughs Festival. And I'm doing a live podcast there. With a cool guest. Who I won't announce yet. But uh, yeah go to that please. But I'm going to have more live podcasts. But here's the thing. I've been talking for a while. Kind of unsure about. You know having the live podcast. Going out on Wednesday mornings. So I think what I'm going to start doing 
right unless it's an emergency what i'm going to start doing is that when i have live podcasts to put out i'll put them out as bonus content on like a thursday or a friday or something and that way the wednesday podcast remains the same the wednesday podcast is for the podcast hug and then if i've got a live podcast i'll put them out as i see fit as extra content because why the fuck not mainly there's two reasons now for, for the past few weeks i've been asking you going look if you're put off by the live podcasts if, if it's not giving you a hug let me know and most people have been like no i don't mind it it's quite nice it's a different tone but here's the thing the reason i don't like putting out the podcast the live podcast on wednesdays is it feels like i've been away from you for two weeks do you get me so like last week i put out that live podcast did a little bit of talking at the start but currently i feel like i haven't uh, spoken to you in two fucking weeks i haven't and i don't like that because it gets me it keeps me out of the zone i i like developing this podcast and following on kind of themes from week to week and checking in and i kind of don't get that when i fuck a live podcast into the middle of it so from now on live podcasts are going to be bonus content unless um an emergency pops itself up whereby i'm just incredibly stuck for time and i can't record the podcast for a wednesday in that situation a live podcast will go out as an emergency but other than that i'll fucking put it out as a bonus content because i can you know what i mean i was over in spain last week for uh, a few days i was going to do a podcast from spain but the airbnb that i got it was dis- the like it was a lovely airbnb but the sound was fucking disgusting the spaniards are lunatics they put marble floors and marble walls and marble ceilings so i would have been trying to record the fucking podcast from a marble catacomb which is utterly impossible it's just too much too many echoes and as well as that first off i went over to spain to a a city called cordoba where i visit quite often i went there to write because i have my second book coming up and i just wanted to get fucking straight into fucking writing the second book and achieving the condition of flow which i did uh, I came back from Spain with about 16,000 words, which isn't too bad for a couple of days' work. And I haven't edited the words yet. I just kind of farted it onto the laptop, you know, out of my mind. But I'll be editing it this week with a cold eye. Um, I heard a great quote last week about editing, but I can't remember it. Why the fuck did I bring it up if I can't remember it? I think it was something like, write with fire, edit with ice. What is it? Write with fire in your veins and edit with ice in your veins. I think it's that, but it sums up the process perfectly. Um, 
the act of sitting down to write initially. And not in Italy now. Initially. Sometimes when you're from Limerick and you say initially, people think you're talking about fucking Italy. And I've just said I was in Spain. So I had to clarify. Initially, when you sit down to write, um, the goal should be to simply get it onto the page. You need to... I don't know, it's, I've spoken about flow many, many times, which is entering the state of flow, which is essentially, it's a waking dream. It's, your mind is in, like a daydream state. And I'm writing, and basically my mind is going straight into my hands, and it's coming out in front of me on the page. And I'm not thinking, it's just happening. And there's no judgment, I'm not thinking about good or bad, none of that. That's that's the initial burst of writing. That's how you end up with a plot, characters, a feeling. That's that magical shit that you want in a story. That's the stuff that you can't learn out of a book. That's the... You know, you know no matter how much studying you're going to do, or how much training you do, you're never going to get that. That's unique to you if you're a writer. That's flow. But then, once you have that however many thousand words down on the page, then you, you edit it. And editing is... That's a much more critical process. That's where you use intellect and learned information. And that's when you start to worry about, is this good or bad, you know? So that's the ice in the veins. And the fire in the veins is... That's the passionate farting of words into a laptop so anyway I went over to Spain in the middle of Holy Week um, which is the week that leads up to fucking Easter and Jesus Christ did they take it seriously and I wasn't aware of it right because you know we're a Catholic country in Ireland historically you know we're not really that... Pra- like, I tell you what, when I went to fucking Spain, it made me realise that the Irish are not Catholic. Only by name. Because the Spaniards take this shit fucking seriously. So, they had this fucking mad thing. I wasn't expecting it at all. So I walk out into the street, and I'm staying in this little... I wanted a quiet week, right? A relatively quiet week in Spain. And... I step out into the square around my gaff and I couldn't fucking move. It's like there's it's like Paddy's Day. Thousands of people. So I'm going, what the fuck is happening? So they're all gathered around and then a lot of cunts dressed like the Ku Klux Klan start going past and it's a procession and behind them is a lot of lads carrying these It was fucking beautiful now. But these massive, like... Like parade floats. But they're carrying them on their backs. And they're just these incredibly ornate depictions of, like... Christ crying blood. Or Holy Mary weeping blood out of her neck. And there was real human skulls on some of the floats and everything. So this was mad culture shock for me. And... People who are watching it, right, they're all flocking around. But, like, nobody's drinking. 
And this is going on till one or two in the morning. The entire city is out watching these cons dress like the Klo Klux Klan. Not a drink in anyone's hand. Instead what they're doing, everyone in Spain eats sunflower seeds. So they're all there watching the Klo Klux Klan, looking at a giant bleeding Christ with human skulls being carried on lads' backs. And they're just nibbling away at these sunflower seeds. And spitting the fucking carcass of the sunflower seed onto the ground. So when they walk away, the ground is feathered with all these shells of sunflower seeds. And then where the Klu Klux Klan looking lads were walking, it's just melted candle wax on the ground. Incredibly bizarre. It um, scared the living fuck out of me and made me realise, you know, how the Spanish managed to take over half the world. Because they're, Jesus, they're nearly as bad as the Brits. Um, so naturally I had to go fucking looking it up the next day. It's like, you can't just walk into a square and see the Klu Klux Klan and a lot of cunts eating sunflower seeds and then just casually walk away from that and not go on a Wikipedia binge. So it turns out that the, the way, the way these lads look, it's like, imagine like literally the Klu Klux Klan, but with slightly pointier hats, more perfectly pointy hats. Klu Klux Klan They've got a bit of a condom and a floppy Mickey look. Whereas the Spanish lads had perfectly pointy, beautiful hoods. So, during the Spanish Inquisition, 15th, 16th century, um, they used to shame, like the, 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 the powers that be would shame people, would shame sinners by making them wear uh, pointy caps, right? We would associate this with, you know, the dunce cap. Um, in schools, in Ireland, even maybe about 40 years ago, a punishment for a child who was bad at fucking, didn't hand in their homework or whatever, the teacher would put a triangular hat on their head with a D on it, and this was the dunce cap, and the child would have to wear the triangular hat of shame. Well, this comes from the Spanish Inquisition. So if you committed a sin, the Inquisition would tell you to put a triangular hat of shame on your head and you would walk through the streets of Spain and when the townspeople saw somebody wearing the hat of shame, they'd pick up rocks and fuck it off them. Kind of like a, a medieval version of Twitter. But... Anyway, so what the what certain people started to do around Easter was if in Spain in the 16th century, if you wore a pointy cap, if that meant cunts throwing rocks at you, some people would simply throw on a pointy hat out of guilt or out of shame or to... Coming up to Easter, because Easter is fucking... Christ is crucified and he rises again. So mad Catholics would go, I want, you know, if Christ went through all that pain, getting lashed with whips and all of this and crucified, then I'm going to put on this dunce cap, even though no one's told me to do it. I'm going to put on this cap, walk through the streets and get rocks fucked at me because the people don't know the difference. So that's where this started. These lads would put on the pointy hats, walk through the streets, get fucked at rocks fucked at them. And then the tradition started. 
Except now no one's fucking rocks. They're just eating sunflower seeds and spitting them onto the ground like animals. So it was an interesting week. Most definitely. Easter's interesting crack. Mainly the story behind it, like... We all know about, right, Good Friday, alright? So Christ is crucified. Hangs around the cross and then he dies. And we know about Sunday... Easter Sunday, when he comes out of the tomb, goes, well, hey, I'm back. But no one ever talks about Saturday. And I don't know why. On the Saturday, that's known as the harrowing of hell. And apparently what happened is, so Friday, he's crucified, he dies that night. Saturday, Jesus heads down into hell and battles with a lot of demons and he releases a bunch of souls from hell into paradise just to be sound specifically Adam and Eve he releases Adam and Eve from original sin and they can finally enter the garden of heaven after 2000 years uh, down in hell for eating an apple yeah and no one talks about that one so it's been a shitty week in Ireland on the island of Ireland Um. There was a high-profile rape trial where three uh, fairly famous rugby players were accused of raping a 19-year-old girl. And the trial went on laboriously for a long time, quite publicly. And the three lads were were cleared uh, not guilty. And this elicited a furious reaction from the people of Ireland who did not agree with that verdict. And a lot of people were tweeting at me going, Blind boy, what is your hot take on the Belfast rape trial? And I I don't have a fucking hot take on the Belfast rape trial because you're not supposed to have hot takes on something as collectively traumatic and painful as that. I've spoken about my say the male privilege before when it comes to sexual assault sexual assault is not on my radar I never have to worry about sexual assault I can go jogging at three in the morning and it doesn't even enter my head because it is highly unlikely as a male that I'm going to be a victim of it so that's because of that privilege when something like that verdict came out and the reaction to it no matter how angry I was and how furious I was I chose to use it use that time to listen to listen to women and take on board what they're saying about it and for me to fucking chill out because sometimes when you come from a position of privilege and you comment on something like that especially if it's a hot take your best intentions can be offensive and hurtful at a time when emotions are fucking high. So that's one reason I didn't comment on it. The second reason I didn't comment on it, and I was going to, is because the reaction online from some lads, a particular type of lad, um, they were the type of lad who only set up a Twitter account just so they could say nasty things to their favourite footballer if they fucked up in a game or whatever. 
there was a, t- a particular type of young sports lad who turned Twitter into a fucking sewer for a week and they, a gang of them deliberately sought out any woman who was expressing her distaste with the verdict and using quite aggressive, slut-shaming, victim-blaming language at these women. So I knew if I, with my 170,000 followers, tweeted something about it, I would just draw these fucking shithead sore bastards on. They would spile, spew gogs out of their mouths. And then the huge amount of women that follow me on Twitter would have more sore in their feeds. So that was another reason I sat back and listened. What I did tweet, because I felt it was constructive and fucking useful, was a link for people to donate money to Dublin Rape Crisis Centre and Midwest uh, Rape Crisis Centre. I would urge you now, please, donate fucking money to your local Rape Crisis Centre because they need that fucking money, and i tell you why. In Ireland, only one in ten rapes are actually reported out of that one in ten only one to two percent end up in an actual conviction right that's disgraceful something is wrong with the system something's very wrong with the system and i don't just think it's ireland it's a worldwide thing that's why me too exists because the system is not representing women correctly uh, the conversation around it then quickly turned to, because as well it's worth noting that the accused in the trial then started threatening legal action against the people of Twitter who disagreed with the verdict. So the conversation moved away from the verdict and onto the WhatsApp messages that the accused had been sending each other the morning after the night of the allegation and people were speaking about the misogyny of the language that they used and the objectification of the girl in question all this type of stuff and a lot of people were shocked by it a lot of lads were shocked by it in particular and I have to say I wasn't fucking shocked by it because I grew up in that fucking culture. That's just how lads speak about fucking women. It's it's normal. And I'm not for one second um trying to make excuses for that type of discourse. But what I'm saying is that it's a horrible thing that that is normal. Like I when I saw those the WhatsApp messages, and when I saw, we'll say, the misogynistic comments coming from those sports lads, as in, as in the Twitter sports lads with the fucking, the lads who were being pricks, not not the rugby player, not the accused lads, just the general Twitter ball boys. When I saw the language they were using, it made me kind of reflect on just like how I was, the culture I was raised in as an Irish lad. Who hung around with other Irish lads. And the the discourse of objectification and misogynism. That was completely normalised from my fucking childhood. Up until my early 20s. 
And like I was never taught about fucking consent in school. I was given very basic sex education by a priest. And the gist of that sex education was when a man and a woman love each other, they get married and they have sex and don't wank. And that was it. No use of the word consent or what that would mean. I was never, sex was not spoken about with my parents because they came from old school Catholic background. So parents don't want to talk to their kid about sex. If you want to say consent, that means talking about sex. And you don't do that in an Irish Catholic household, even though my parents weren't Catholic. But they came from that tradition and culture, if you get me. And I grew up to believe that a rapist and most lads in Ireland grew up to believe a rapist is somebody a a fucking boogeyman creep who hangs around alleyways and has a dirty jacket and a big long beard and a haggard face and looks like a monster and these rapists jump out of alleyways and violently physically attack women and force sex upon them that is the definition of rapist that I grew up with I was not brought up with to believe that a rapist could be an accountant or a bank manager, or a bread delivery man, or my next door neighbour. I was not brought up to believe that rape is something that happens in bedrooms with a woman who previously consents and then then decides that she doesn't want to go further. This was never part of the discourse I grew up with. And... It made me just really reflect on the first kind of sexual interaction you have with girls as a young Irish lad. It's in about second year of secondary school. You go to teenage discos. And you go to these teenage discos. First of all, you're in an exclusively male group, right? You go to the teenage disco, then you try and shift as many girls as possible. And then the next day you're with the lads and the conversation is, how many did you shift? Then, what did you get off her? Did you get tit? Did you finger her? Did you feel her arse? Did she wank you? That's the only conversation, right? Then that moves on to what I call smell my finger culture. Where if a lad did say oh I fingered her he would have to offer his hand to all the other lads and they would try and smell it to see whether or not he in fact did and this was completely fucking normal not only was it normal it was this is how social relations are made in groups of young lads one thing that's fucking hugely important to young lads is status within a group okay and two things got your status whether you were brilliant at fighting or you were classic getting loads of girls those two things if you weren't great at getting loads of girls but you kick everyone's head in you had high status vice versa so discourse becomes about how many girls can you get what can you get off him how soon do you think you are 
to finally actually losing your virginity, the two biggest insults I grew up with were, you are gay, you are a virgin. That's the two things. Now, the other thing too is that it's it's kind of, it's rooted in very low self-esteem. Um, lads want to, another huge insult, a massive insult actually, was being called a frigid. And this was really fucking shitty because lads develop at different levels. So some lads who are late bloomers will say they didn't fucking, they don't have their pubes yet. They might not fucking have had a wet dream. They might not even be getting erections. That that can happen some lads at maybe 15, while other lads it'll happen at 11. So for the ones who actually weren't physically sexually developed, they too were being forced into shifting girls and really not wanting to do it because they're not sexually mature enough to have an actual interest in it. So if you didn't, you were called a frigid. So if you a gay or being called a frigid, bad insults. Now this is a difficult conversation because I do not want to come across as if I'm... G- being sympathetic or trying to portray th- this as as in a, in a with sympathy I'm not what I'm trying to do is explain the complexity of a toxic culture from my experience of being fucking raised in it and to to investigate that complexity as a means of understanding it understanding its motivations and then moving towards a conversation whereby we can tackle it because that's the it's a smart thing to do you know it's still fucking toxic and men are still trash I just want to talk about the the inside of the dustbin and how things end up inside in that dustbin And why it stinks so bad. Another reason that. Young lads. In my group. And myself included. Would speak about women. Or speak about about girls. In a misogynistic way. It's a fear. Um, When you're 15, 16, 17. No, not 17. 15, 16. And you are meeting a girl or whatever and you go back to the lads and you say oh I'm meeting this girl I'm shifting or whatever um, I really like her I she's a good friend I I laugh around her she makes me really happy when, I, when I'm when i not around her I really miss her I think I love her if you said that you got a box into the fucking head and you were jeered and slagged and bullied and called gay for daring to have feelings for a girl because girls are objects and they are merely vessels for you to get things off that's the other thing I was within that culture girls you're kind of lads at that age are are led to believe Girls don't actually want sex or enjoy it. Sex is something a girl has 
okay? And it must be coerced out of them. It has to be tricked, coerced, or pleaded out of them. That Sex is the thing that a girl holds, and she, she has to hold on to it very tightly, or else she's called a slut. And then the lad then, like a game, has to figure out a way to get that offer, and she's not going to enjoy it. Because girls don't enjoy sex. It's something they have. And they reluctantly have to give it away. Um, but. Another. Key behind the psychology of it is. One part of it is. Trying to be hard. And trying to show off. And trying to maintain status within. Your group. Whereby the signifier of status is how. Horrible you can talk about a woman. The other thing is, it's the, it's a person with low self-esteem, right? A young man with low self-esteem and the utter fear of rejection. If you're with a girl and all she is, is you're getting tit off her or you're shifting her or you're only with her so that you can eventually get the ride, right? If all she is, is that, if she turns around and doesn't like you or God forbid chooses someone else, you never have to feel true hurtful rejection that confirms in you your low opinion of yourself so that's the other misogynistic language and a misogynistic way of thinking it's a great tool to prevent yourself from being truly truly vulnerable from having the maturity to give yourself over emotionally to another person and lay that bare and allow that to be hurt okay that's where a lot of that kind of comes from in my opinion as a male and having been in these groups having grown up with it and that style of discourse and that situation where young men are getting self-worth and social currency from objectifying and dehumanizing women that is the the foundational rock right that is one of the foundational stones of sexual assault happening in the first place and also the justice system that doesn't seem to take sexual assault seriously and places the onus on the victim so that's the that's the root, that's the bud of the situation. And I grew up with it. I grew up right in the fucking middle of it. And that's why I don't want to be like on my fucking high horse about the bloody issue. Because it's like, okay, now I'm a grown adult man with maturity. And all I've learned to do, I'm, I'm, I'm base level misogynistic and toxic at my base level um, my initial responses to things because that's what I grew up with but over the years through my own self-development my mental health development compassion and empathy when compassion empathy things like that become a, so, a, uh, the focus of your life and in your own happiness then I kind of gradually try and challenge that behaviour in myself. 
and in other fucking lads. Like, like I said, I'm a fucking adult now. If I hear another lad talking like that around me, I'm just going to go, why are you saying that, man? That sounds very insecure. Why do you need to speak that way about another person to dehumanize them? Are you not embarrassed? Not a fucking hope was I saying that when I was 16. I wouldn't have had the courage uh, and I wouldn't have identified the other person's comments as being bad. I would have seen it as crack and banter and a mad laugh because it had been 100% normalized. And lads out there listening going, oh, I never did that. Fuck off. Yeah, you did. If you went to school, if you hung around with lads, that's the way it was. That's what the Yanks call locker room talk. And take ownership of it. And try and fucking change it in yourself and realise, yeah, I grew up thinking this way and speaking this way. Now I'm an adult, I have a choice, I can challenge it. And I can challenge it in other people. And fucking hell, if if you're a grown man and you've got a younger brother... Now is the time to have a fucking decent chat around that stuff. Do you know what I mean? Ask him straight up. Do you ever notice when you... Do you ever notice when you say that you fingered a girl or put your hand up her top that all the other lads, like, laugh and, and give you... You know, it feels good. And all the other lads seem to give you approval. And then he'll go, yeah. And then talk about it. Then go, do you think that's a great way to be getting approval? Are there different ways... For you to get approval. Is their approval important. To you. If. That is. That, that those are the stakes. And. Speak to that. Young lad. In terms of. Um, an internal locus of evaluation. Which is. You know. That's a quite a fucking complex thing for. An adolescent. Who doesn't have a. Who isn't supposed to have a concrete sense of self. But. Simply. I am better than nobody else. Nobody else is better than me. Because you cannot evaluate humans off each other. And make that the mantra. Instead of fucking... Talking about hand jobs, So the lads will give him a high five. And he gets to feel good for a little bit. And then feel like shit later on. If you are one of the lads who's like... Yeah, that trial didn't really interest me too much. Found it a bit boring. Don't really care. It doesn't really affect me. Well, sometimes art has a way of transcending, we'll say, the news and politics and communicating in a much more powerful way. So for you, I would strongly advise that you read a book by the brilliant Irish author called Louise O'Neill. And she wrote a book called Asking For It, which is a very, very similar story to what's in the news. Not far off it. Please read that book. It's a great book. And it will allow you to emotionally engage better through the medium of art. Because sometimes not everybody uh, can empathise with the news, you know. And if you're a grown man and when you meet other grown men and the basis of your banter and crack, no matter how light-hearted you think it is, if the basis of that crack is misogynistic type chat, maybe have a talk about it between yourselves and ask yourself, is there other avenues of crack? Are there other potential crack avenues? Because 
this system, like I said, the legal system is currently unjust. The social system is unjust. This is an issue. And your slight crack and banter may be contributing to it. Even though that might sound silly to you. Give that a lash. Give that a go. And to the lads... To the lads who were fucking furious about last week. Um, I mean, me... I, I, I felt embarrassed to look other... To look Irish women into the fucking eye uh, last week. I felt really fucking shit. Remember, repeal the fucking eighth is around the corner. So please register to fucking vote. Get out there and vote to repeal the eighth. Okay? Because here's the thing with repeal the eighth. If if you if you disagree with the Eighth Amendment being repealed, you're not anti-abortion, you're anti-safe abortion. Abortions are gonna happen anyway. They are happening. But the women who are getting these abortions are doing it in a, in, in, a, in in a fashion that puts their life at risk and is inhumane. So please vote to fucking repeal the eighth. And lads who want to get involved in the repeal the eighth campaign, um, the Limerick repeal group are in desperate need of male volunteers, right? And on the eleventh of April, in the Absolute Hotel, at seven o'clock. There is a meeting specifically for men in Limerick who want to get involved in canvassing for the repeal the eighth for the repealing of the Eighth Amendment. Right, seven o'clock, Absolute Hotel, eleventh uh, of April, which is next week. And what that talk is going to be, it it will be first of all initiating you if you want to canvass door to door because that's going to be very important. And it'll be kind of giving you a decent, solid information that will equip you for canvassing in favour of the repeal of the Eighth Amendment. So please consider that if you are a man in Limerick, because they could use some lads helping out there. E-art. Gotta say, I was very disappointed that uh, more high-profile sports people didn't come out. And voice a few opinions in the wake of that trial. Because those lads would listen to them sports type fellas. I can't reach those lads with the Twitter profiles. They don't listen to me. They think I'm an SJW cook. But they would listen to high profile sports lads. Here's some slightly good news. The Minister for Justice, Charlie Flanagan, is to review the legal protection offered to complainants in sexual assault cases in the wake of the Belfast trial. Which is a good thing. Um, I will believe it when I see it, Charlie, but it's a good thing that he's concerned about it, at least. So, after many requests, um, I haven't I haven't read out Donald Trump's tweets as your drunk limerick aunt in quite a few weeks. Because, like I said, past few weeks... My head's been up my hole. I've been very busy. I was moving studios in transit. Um, We haven't heard the ocarina whistle in a while. We're not going to hear it this week either because it's in a different location. But this week I'm going to bring back Donald Trump's tweets 
as you're drunk, Limerick and. And because it's very late right now where I am, I won't be able to roar them. But you know what? I'm in the mood for a whispery drunk Limerick and. So picture the scene. It's four in the morning. Your aunt has been out at bingo. She's been drinking wolf blast. She comes back home and there's a bottle of Buck's frizz underneath the sink with all the bags, with all the Dunn's bags. And she goes over to the, to the Buck's fizz and she's very disappointed because it's only 3.5% but nonetheless she pops it off and she pours it into a glass tumbler. No, a mug. She pours the Buck's fizz into a mug and you're up late Rewatching season two of Breaking Bad on Netflix. You've had a tough day at work and you just want to fucking chill out and you're like, it's four in the morning, I'm not working tomorrow, I'm going to watch Breaking Bad again on Netflix and I'm entitled to that. And you know what? I'll get up at 11 o'clock tomorrow if I want because I'm not working. But your aunt comes in with her box fizz mug and she says to you, I'm right about Amazon costing the United States post office massive amounts of money for being their delivery boy. Amazon should pay these costs plus not have them bounced by the American taxpayer. Many billions of dollars. Leaders don't have a clue or two day. Check out the fact that you can't get a job at Ratings Challenged CNN. Unless you state that you are totally anti-Trump. Little Jeff Zucker, whose job is in jeopardy, is not going to have much fun lately. They should clean up and strengthen CNN and get back to honest reporting. The big caravan of people from Honduras, now coming across Mexico and heading to the weak laws border, had better be stopped before it gets there. Cash cow. NAFTA is in play as is foreign aid to Honduras and the countries that allow this to happen Congress must act now you watching Breaking Bad is that Walter is it I love him is he said in hash is that Walter said in hash where's Skylar she's a cunt so that was your drunk limerick aunt reading Donald Trump's tweets Back by popular demand. You bastards. So, um, let's get to the part of the podcast where I ask you to support me. This podcast is supported almost exclusively by the kindness of the listeners through the Patreon account. Patreon.com forward slash the blind boy podcast. And many sound listeners give me the price of a pint, which is round a fiver, once a month. And for this, you get five hours of delicious podcast hug content. And possibly even more now if I start doing this live podcast business on Thursdays or whatever. But please uh, donate to the Patreon. Please do. It makes a massive, massive difference to my life. Um, it keeps this podcast going. It keeps me delivering it on time. 
it's fucking fantastic. It's very, very difficult as an artist to make money today, okay? Especially someone like myself who doesn't want to make harsh shit, okay? For me to earn a decent living in Ireland through the channels such as RTE, I would have to be presenting some fucking hard... I'd, I'd have to be on Dancing with the Stars, man. I'd have to be presenting Dancing with the Stars or being a contestant on it. But because of this podcast, I don't fucking have to. I don't have to do that horrible shit. I can do this, which is enjoyable and I like it and ye like it. And it's the number one podcast in Ireland. And it's made in a fucking bedroom. And no one tells me what to talk about or what not to talk about. And I listen to ye. And it's it's a shared communal experience. And I like it. I love doing it. So please, if you enjoy this podcast, uh, contribute to the Patreon. A couple of quid once a month. The price of a pint. Would you buy me a pint or a coffee? If the answer is yes, please contribute to the Patreon. And if you can't, it's grand. You're allowed to listen for, for free as well. But if you can, consider a bit of soundness. God bless. Okay, now we're coming up to the part where an advert is inserted into the podcast by Acast. And most people don't hear it because I think they only play them in in the UK. So I don't have my... Usually what we do every week is is when the advert comes up, I play an ocarina, which is a Spanish clay whistle. But it is not on my possession at the moment. I've been speaking to the side of the fucking mic there for about five minutes. So instead of the ocarina, I'm going to jingle the keys to my new studio. So you're either going to hear the sultry jingle of keys or... An advert for MI5. Whatever the fuck the Brits are trying to feed into your head. Okay, some vacuous shit. Trying to sell you some vacuous bullshit. See, not only is it metallic keys, but it has a a little plastic thing on it as well. You can hear that. Oh, Lon Johnson. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, this is an advertisement for better help. I have frequently attended therapy for the past 20 years when I experience anxiety or depression or when I have difficulty 
naming and labeling my emotions, identifying my emotions. I often seek the help of a professional therapist to improve my emotional literacy. I've attended therapy in person and I've attended therapy online. If online therapy is something you might be interested in, give better help a try. It's entirely online, it's convenient, flexible and it's suited to your schedule. All you gotta do is fill out a brief questionnaire and you get matched with a licensed therapist and you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. So give it a go. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash blindby today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash blindby. Oh, Long Jansen. There you go. You either heard some keys or some fucking cold hard capitalism straight into your mind. Do you know what I'd like to do before I get on to the questions? I'd like to talk... Actually, no, I should probably just get on to the questions, will I? No, fuck it. I'm going to talk a little bit about emotional intelligence because I haven't spoken about mental health on the podcast in a good while because I've been so busy. So I'm going to talk a little bit about emotional intelligence. I'll give you a, a quick rundown of it. What is it? Emotional intelligence in a nutshell... It's like a it's 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 a modern enough school of of psychology that looks at emotional literacy, right? Being able to identify and correctly label the emotions that you're feeling, and to have a certain command and control over them. Not necessarily command and control, but to not. To develop emotional literacy to the point that emotions are not commanding and controlling you. An emotion essentially is a... It's an instantaneous impulse or reaction to an event that developed, right? An emotion is... it's, it's It's our brain triggering pleasant or unpleasant physical responses... To abstract stimulations. If someone walks up to you with a screwdriver and sticks it into your knee, you feel an immediate physical response of pain and you go, oh, that's not nice. If the person that you love turns around to you and says, I don't love you anymore, I want to leave, you experience an intense pain in and around the chest or in your stomach or a myriad of other physical responses that's emotion your person that you love rejecting you that is an abstract concept it's not physical it's abstract and emotion has taken that abstract information your brain has taken that abstract information and via emotion it has communicated this abstract information into physical sensation of discomfort that's emotion And there's various types of emotion. And they have evolutionary roots. All of our emotions kind of have an evolutionary advantage going back to when we were cavemen. 
I don't know what the deal is with fucking emotions and like we're homo sapiens we've been around for 50,000 years I think but even before us homo erectus homo habilis neanderthal wonder what their emotions were like but to run through some of the the top emotions like anger what's anger about what does it do anger causes the blood to flow to your hands you clench your fists and your teeth and like the evolutionary kind of benefit of that is like you know what why why does this emotion get your fists to fucking clench on your teeth it's for a survival mechanism it's like to hold a fucking weapon or to box someone into the jaw or to bite their face and you get this rush of adrenaline that allows you to supersede your regular strength that's emotion or or fucking anger the emotion of anger fear with fear your blood fucks off into your legs right so you can run away that's the purpose of it send all the blood into the legs you gotta do a legger then your face goes cold and white because all the blood's down in your legs and that's fear so like anger is fight and fear is flight or you could freeze when fear happens because staying still might be the best survival mechanism in your caveman brain happiness stimulates the brain and allows your body to rest and repair and love the emotion of love relaxes you removes threats facilitates cooperation within a social system very beneficial to a caveman surprise surprise is a fun one when you get surprised the emotion feel the emotion of surprise how that is physically communicated to your body is you raise your fucking eyebrows and when you raise your eyebrows up it allows more light to strike your retina so that you can whatever situation is causing the surprise you can take it in more you can take more of it in through a widened retina and you can devise a plan of this surprising situation and sadness sadness causes a loss of energy and enthusiasm and the survival benefit of sadness what people think anyway evolutionary psychologists is that it would have kept a bereaved person or a vulnerable person close to to home that's there on the cave they wouldn't leave the cave hunting and gathering and get eaten by a fucking badger or whatever the fuck at cavemen you know that stay at home so why I kind of ran through emotions there in terms of survival and fucking caveman terms is that emotions are quite fucking primitive in the as part of the human condition they're triggered by the, the, the limbic system of the brain right and within the limbic system, you've got like the hypothalamus, the amygdala, little parts of the brain. But the limbic system is, is one of the most primitive parts of a brain. Okay, The first creatures on the earth would have had a fairly developed limbic system. But we'll say the likes of the neocortex, which is responsible for kind of rational measured thought, that wouldn't be too developed in the first creatures on earth. But in humans it is. So your limbic 
brain, right, the hypothalamus, and in particular the amygdala, the primitive part of your brain, this sits kind of behind your eyes. And it's often the first port of call for information that your brain receives. And the amygdala and the limbic system, they regulate emotion, okay? Now, behind the fucking limbic system, you've got your rational mind, your 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 thoughtful mind. This is the, the neocortex, like I said, okay? So, one of the ways that emotion can dictate your life for better or worse it's what's known as an emotional hijacking okay the amygdala in your brain can take supremacy over the rest of your brain over your rational neocortex and deliver a very strong burst of emotion to your body this is what like I don't know you're in your car and someone pulls out in front of you and it was very foolish of him and all of a sudden you are screaming your fucking head off screaming roaring then they scream roar back then they're like pull over and you pull over and then you're fucking opening the boot of your car getting ready to take out a hurley that's an emotional hijacking the emotion of anger has completely hijacked your muscles and it has bypassed the rational, measured, sensible neocortex and you're operating on pure anger. In the 21st century, if you're a fucking caveman and you meet another caveman and he wants to rob all your food, it might be perfectly acceptable to bash his brains in and kill him. That's quite useful because you might be killed. But... In 2016 on the Kona roundabout in Limerick, or 20 fucking 18, if you take out a Harley and lash a man across the head, that's fucking five years in jail. That's not a very rational response, is it? So that is a an emotional hijacking. That's what that is. Your amygdala takes supremacy over the neocortex, and it has told you what to do. You've lost control. Okay. Um. Anxiety. Classic. Did you ever get a fucking panic attack? What the fuck is that? A panic attack is when you perceive a threat that doesn't really exist. This threat could be from deep in your unconscious. It could be a threat to... You could be underestimating your ability to cope about something for the future. And all of a sudden, your body freezes, your breaths are deep, your heart is thumping, your face is white, you're fucking shivering and you have the physical response of somebody who needs to run at the top of their fucking as fast as they can but you're sitting down in McDonald's so that's not a particularly rational response to whatever the threat is because your brain has been emotionally hijacked by the amygdala it is telling you what to do now not every emotional hijack is a negative thing laughter like what the fuck is that you hear something that's hilarious and all of a sudden you're laughing into the air and rolling around that's an emotional hijack too but it's one of the good ones so what emotional intelligence kind of teaches people to do is to become literate and aware 
of emotions. The person who's in the car screaming will train themselves to engage their neocortex more, to stop themselves in the moment and go, no, I'm not getting a fucking Harley out because your man in the Opel Corsa nearly hit my car. No, I'm not. I'm going to get on with my day because accidents happen and at least I'm fucking safe and didn't crash. That's the neocortex talking. And the way to kind of train yourself, the way to become emotionally literate and then to train yourself into stopping your emotions, controlling your life, that's generally done through CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, which I'm going to dedicate a full podcast to at some point. But the other thing that's emotional someone somebody who gets emotionally hijacked a lot okay would be considered emotionally unintelligent do you ever get into an argument with someone you care about your fucking girlfriend your boyfriend and it gets heated all of a sudden your face feels hot and you're saying something incredibly personally hurtful to the per- to the person that you love and then afterwards you feel like a fucking prick that's an emotional hijack. That's what that is. And to become familiar with your own anger, familiar with your own anxiety, you can reduce your base level fucking primitive emotions. You can you can prevent them from hijacking you. What if your and everyone has different ones, you know. Some people get triggered by anger. Some people get triggered by anxiety. What if the emotion that you get triggered by is is self-loathing or shame, okay? So anytime you're in a social situation, you start to feel that you're not good enough to be here. Or you start to assume that other people don't like you. So your emotional hijack in that situation is to become awkward in social situations and go out of your way to be incredibly nice to the people around you. That's an emotional hijacking. You know, really going out of your way to be very polite, very nice, because you want everyone to like you, because you think they think you're a piece of shit. Your life would be a lot handier if that wasn't part of the fucking deal, wouldn't it? So, emotional intelligence, it allows us to understand our own emotions, to be able to label them correctly, to understand when we're feeling it, to not allow them control our behaviour. And through understanding our own emotions, we then develop greater empathy for the people around us. Poor emotional intelligence can actually affect your cognitive intelligence. And... A lot of people, this is why I hate using fucking labels like stupid. Do you know what I mean? I hate, even though you'll probably catch me off guard once in a while and I call someone thick. But a lot of the people that we would call thick, they're not thick. They have an an emotional blockage and their emotional brain is bypassing their logical, rational neocortex and they're not presenting as what we would consider to be intelligent. Sit sit through a fucking exam that you've studied your bollocks off for. 
an area that you enjoy, that you love, that you consider yourself to be proficient in, sit in that fucking exam and tell me that the anxiety doesn't fuck up your result. Right there, that is an example of how poor emotional intelligence can disguise itself as poor cognitive functioning. Do you know what I mean? I would have liked to develop, to uh, do more on emotional intelligence. Maybe I will on another podcast. But right now, I'm going to go to the the question answering part of the podcast. This is a fucking long podcast now. I didn't want that. Because people stop listening after a fucking hour. Okay, I'm going to get to some bastard questions. This is a fucking a loud new studio, isn't it? Every movement I make, fucking anything. Move something on my desk, you can fucking hear it. Because everything is wooden. So I need to get some shitty carpets in here to dampen the sounds. So I can get a bit of warmth back. So because it's 65 minutes into the fucking podcast, I'm only going to answer one question this week. And that question is... Actually, before I get on to the question, loads of you have been sending me mails every week. Um, and just sorry for fucking not getting back to you. I get roughly 50 mails a day. I try and respond to some. I would love to be fucking sitting down, responding to all of your mails, giving decent responses. I just fucking don't have the time. And I'm really sorry. And I appreciate so much when people send me mails for whatever reason. Thank you. Um, but anyway, this week's question, it is a sponsored question by an Irish company, fair play to them, who are going to sponsor a couple of questions over the next few weeks, Wolfgang Digital, okay, visit Wolfgang Digital's website and visit Wolfgang Digital's uh, YouTube page because they have a video series called Wolfgang Bites. And when I answer, when they ask me a question, they go to their office because the whole office, Wolfgang Digital Office, are fans of the podcast. So they get questions off the office. They give one to me. I answer it. And then Wolfgang make a video response to the answer that I give. And it's Wolfgang Bites. I think you'll find that on YouTube. You'll also find it on their website. So the question this week is... I'll get the Trouton or Crack to read it. Smartphone... Separation anxiety is growing as people increasingly see their phones as an extension of themselves. Are mobile phones the first step in humans becoming cyborgs? Will we be part person and part embedded machine in the future? Part embedded machine in the future. Are smartphones becoming the first step to us becoming cyborgs? I think they fucking are. I definitely think they are, yeah. I mean, I am in my mind compartmentalizing myself into my online avatar and my real life. And I dream about being on Twitter. I dream about Facebook posts. Um, to be honest, most of the interaction that I have with other human beings happens online. More so than in real life. I feel that I can be. More honest online. Whereas in in real life. I might be a bit. More nervous. More confident online. And. That is an interesting you know. Is. is, 
Yeah, it's like a reverse Rene Descartes, isn't it? Like, Descartes' thing was, uh... Not I think, therefore I am, even though that was Descartes. Cartesian dualism. Rene Descartes was one of the first psychologists that, that's to suggest that the mind and the brain are two separate things, two different things. And it's interesting that our first venturing into becoming cyborgs, I, I'd have always thought that like when humans become cyborgs, that they would be physical, that if our brains were, were to become cybernetic, that we would physically attach a fucking microchip to our brains. But it's interesting that the cyborgness has, is happening to our minds, the intangible part. We're becoming cyborg through the intangible ether of our minds and personalities. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, that's a fucking, that is an interesting question that I fully agree with. Thank you Wolfgang Digital and thank you for the, 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 the delicious, lovely sponsorship. Yum, yum, yum. Mmm. Alright, have a good week. Go enjoy yourselves. Mind yourselves. Um, read up a bit on emotional intelligence if you enjoy it. Uh, I'll talk to you next week. We'll have a bit of crack. And I'm going to keep the podcast nice and huggy from now on. And, oh yeah, subscribe to the podcast. Leave a fucking review on iTunes. And on social media, recommend the podcast to a friend. Can't believe I forgot. I forgot to tell you to like and subscribe. What an arrogant prick. Alright. God bless. Have a joyous week. You delicious, delectable cunts. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.